Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And then the second reading is from Luke. Luke 14, uh, verses 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, said the servant, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Well, then the master told his servant, go out into the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We have been working over the last couple of weeks uh, through Luke 14 and a particular series around uh, our Vision 2020. And uh, Vision 2020, really, we're putting before you is an opportunity for us as a church to both rethink and reaction mission. Now, we've been looking at Luke 14, and Luke 14, for most of it, is the account of an extended lunch with Jesus. 
Now, if you've been with us, you will realise this probably would have been one of those incredibly awkward social situations. Uh, If you were the host, you were probably there thinking, I wonder who Jesus is going to offend next. Uh, Look in Luke 14, he starts out and he's actually challenging the religious leaders who are there. He's actually provoking them by healing a man on the Sabbath. And he doesn't stop there. He then moves to the next uh, group, the other guests, because when he sees them looking for positions of honour, he has a go at them about that. And then he moves on to the host himself and uh, rebukes him, really, uh, for his very self-serving guest list. So you'd be excused for thinking, I wonder who Jesus is going to go for next. Jesus, I think, would have been an incredibly uncomfortable dinner guest for certain people to have around. Uh, You might think, I'd love to hang out with Jesus. But Jesus, because of his great love for us, he challenges us. He seeks to reshape how we see things and our understanding of ourselves. Jesus is in the process of rattling our cage. These words recorded for us in Luke 14 are God's word, as David so helpfully reminded us. Uh, And it is his spirit that takes those words, makes them living and active. This is God's word to us to correct us and rebuke us and encourage us and train us. And they should be words that we actually find quite uncomfortable. This lunch with Jesus should be shaking us it should be making us wonder are we sitting comfortably with Jesus you've got to have a bit of sympathy for the guy in verse 15 who calls out you know you can imagine him thinking we've got to turn the conversation to something safe Okay, you can maybe, maybe if you can imagine at your place, someone comes along, you've invited your, uh, your Greens members, uh, you know, the members of the Green political party, and you've made the mistake of inviting a guy who's turned up with a Make Australia Great cap, uh, and you kind of got these groups and you're thinking, how do I keep them for talking about something that's going to just destroy this event? So this man calls out, he says, Blessed is the one who's going to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Oh, let's turn the conversation to something safe. Famous last words, hey? Uh, We're going to unpack this heavenly banquet. Uh, I've got four points for you this morning uh, about wondering at the menu, wondering who's invited, wondering if it's worth it, and wondering at grace. So that is there. Let's dive in. That lunch, it continues. And this really is act three of the lunch. They're gathered there and this man is called out. Blessed is the one who's going to eat at the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. At this victory feast of God's king. Now this was something that was close to Israel's heart. And Val read to us from Isaiah 25 a great passage. Let me read it to you again. On the mountain of the Lord, that's Mount Zion, the mountain that Jerusalem sat upon and the temple crowned. 
On the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. A banquet of aged wines, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Do you notice the alls that are going through there? Again and again and again, all nations, all tears, all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. And in that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This was dear to their heart. The finest of wines, the best of meats. If you're vegan or vegetarian, do the translation. Uh, Work out what that is for you. But this is an image of wonder, of incredible abundance. When you think in that day and age, people didn't have meat every day. People had meat very occasionally. And poor people, which was most people, they had it maybe on the very odd occasion. They might have little bits and pieces. And this is a feast of phenomenal abundance. A feast that was fit for the greatest of kings. And now it is for everyone. The messianic banquet, the banquet of God's king, is a feast to end all feasts. And it's more than that. Isaiah is using this as a metaphor, as a word picture. And he unpacks what this feast represents. And I'd like to suggest that it represents an end as well as a beginning. It represents an end to death and oppression, an end to pain and grief, an end to fear and and shame. We have it there. Let me take it back. It is the mountain on the mountain. He will destroy death forever. He will wipe away the tears. He will remove disgrace from all the earth. This banquet of fine wine, of rich meat, is a banquet that marks the end of everything that stands against God and his purposes. Everything that oppresses us as his people. Everything that defaces and distorts his creation. Death, oppression, grief, pain, fear and shame. It's the end. But it's also a beginning. And in verse 9 we read these words. This is our God. We trusted him. He saved in us. This is the Lord. We trusted him. Let us rejoice. It is a day for the beginning of celebration. They rejoice in the fruit of the the victory that God's king has won. And if we are Christians here today, and you know your scriptures, you know that that victory came through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, where he conquered death, where he won eternal life, eternal renown, where shame itself was disgraced. That is the victory of God's king. And on that day, 
celebration in God's salvation begins. Love, peace, reconciliation, vindication, belonging, wholeness, restoration, comfort. We rejoice in God's salvation. So you've actually got to ask, who's invited? Who's invited? Now, think about the man who called out in verse 15. He calls out, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What's his assumption? Well, surely he's going to be there, isn't he? He's assuming that he's part of the guest list. And at one level, he's totally right. He is on the guest list. Now, we need to unpack this parable a little bit. Jesus tells this story about a man who prepares a banquet and he invites guests. Now, the guest invitations go out and it's kind of like when we have a formal event these days. Um, more than just a Facebook post, okay, you get the thing in the mail that says you need to turn up on this day for this event. So weddings, 21st parties, anniversaries, take your pick. It's a formal invitation. And that's what this man has done. He's preparing his great feast and he's sent out the invitations and you expect an RSVP. It's not like um, my family often does and just rings up random people and says, uh, come round for dinner, uh, like when, in about 10 minutes, you know, come now. We do last minute sort of fairly well. We have good friends who are really not last minute people uh, and we've been stirring them for a very long time by ringing them up on Saturday at four o'clock and say, come for dinner and it just freaks them out. Uh, But this master, this master, he's given a fair amount of notice. My feast is coming. The guests have replied. So he would know what to prepare because in that day and age, depending on who you invited uh, and depending on who accepted, you'd work out how you'd pitch the meal. So, you know, if I invited Andrew, I'm just picking on Andrew because he's sitting in front of me, and Andrew says, yes, well, I have to prepare the best things for Andrew, don't I? Really, the fatted calf, the best from the veggie garden. But if we invite David and David comes, but Andrew's not, well, he gets the, the leftovers from last night. No, but you sort of worked out what you needed to. Not only quantities, but quality, okay? And you could work out. David loves me enough that I've just, he's crying now. Eh? <laughs> Do you need a good psychologist, mate? I could recommend one. <laughs> but this is the thing. The invitations have gone out. And this parable, this story that Jesus is telling is designed to convey a larger spiritual truth. And so what's the feast? The feast is heaven's banquet. Who's the master? Well, the master is God himself. And who's on the guest list? Well, the guest list was God's people. And as an Israelite, this man would have been confident that when he rocked up, he would find his name on one of those nice little cards and his place at the table. Do you see the presumption? They're thinking, this is for people like me. Good people. Religious people. Upright religious people who keep the rules. But if you know anything about the Bible, and you know anything about the religious leaders, they also had a list of who it wasn't for. 
Who's it not for? It's not for the outsiders in Israel, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. It's not for those who refuse to keep the rules, notoriously the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and least of all, is it for the nations? It's really interesting when you dig into this text and you read some of the history that's behind it, you sit there and look at Isaiah 25 and you think, how did God's people, Israel, not think that the nations would come in? Surely that's what Israel was told by Isaiah. Well, if you know a bit of Old Testament history, Israel as a nation was taken into captivity. And as they went into captivity, they were in a culture that didn't speak Hebrew. Okay, so they go away for generations. And when they come back, they no longer speak Hebrew, except for a few elite. But they speak the language of the Middle East at that time, Aramaic. And so that has a big problem. Because the Bible is written in Hebrew. And so they have a whole lot of people who come in and they translate the Bible, the Old Testament, across into Aramaic. And they did a little bit of creative interpretation, let me say. So when you get to Isaiah 25 and what's called the Targum, which is the Aramaic translation, this is how it comes out. Now, Yahweh of hosts, that's the Lord of hosts, will make for all people on this mountain a meal. You go, okay, that's good. And although they suppose it's an honour, it shall be a shame for them and great plagues, plagues from which they will be unable to escape, plagues whereby they will come to their end. Whoa, <laughs> a little bit different. And there's a lovely book out there called One Enoch. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's not in the Bible. It's one of the other books that were around. And the nations in that book are invited in but a guest of honour is the angel of death. And the nations meet his sword. And if you walk into the Messianic Bennett, you have to wade through the blood and the guts of the nations to get in. Really? But that's what God's people thought. It was for nice people. It was for good people. It was for religious people. Not those dirty outcasts in Israel. And least of all, for the nations. Now, what assumptions do we make? Who is it for? Now, if you've been around the Bible and church for any length of time, you'd know the right answer. But let's dig a little bit deeper. If someone followed you around, if someone watched your actions, evaluated your choices, heard your conversations, listened in on your prayers saw how you spent your time and your money, what would they say is the answer to that question? When I thought about that, it really hits. It really hits. Because if we're not praying, if I'm not praying that God will bring my neighbours, my friends my family. I can't really pray for my colleagues because I work for a church and they're already in, hopefully. But you could pray for your colleagues. If I'm not giving to see the gospel go out on our university campuses, in our city, to the nations, if I'm not working to that end, 
if I'm not prepared to speak, am I not with Israel? Saying it's for people like the nice people here today, us. And we're okay with this. A while ago, I started a little conspiracy. I've stopped for a while. I started putting out more chairs uh, to make you feel like, oh, there's lots of room here. And you look around this morning, there's a few gaps, but it's pretty comfy and we're moderately full. Maybe I should start putting out chairs. We prayed this morning in our little prayer meeting for Adelaide. By conservative estimations, 3% of Adelaide might be in that feast. That's 97%. That's not. That needs to come. What does our silence suggest? But you've got to wonder, is it worth it? Okay? Jesus continues. He says, they, in, a certain man in, prepared his banquet. He invited many guests. At the time of the banquet... He sent his servant to those who'd been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. This is kind of like turning up to our place and we sit down and we have drinks and nibbles. And this is the moment where uh, I or Karen walk in saying, dinner's just about to be on the table, come to the table. Okay, they did it a little bit differently in those days, but this second invitation is that moment. The people had responded, they'd said yes. Now he sent out his servant, he said, dinner's on the table, it's time to turn up. Okay, we get plot twist number one. Verse 14, verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. Who are these people? This is Israel. These are the invitees. What's Jesus doing in this story? As if they would make excuses. But they're lame excuses as well. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now, in this time, agriculture was life. Fields were status and wealth and food. And deeds of sale didn't just describe the block. They described it in detail down to what were the crops, what were the terraces, how did it all work. Land transactions took years This hasn't happened in a hurry, and the people at the time would know that. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Yeah, as if. If you're buying a yoke of oxen, you want to make sure that they can actually work together. Someone in the commentary said, this is like buying five used cars and then saying, I'm going to go and test drive them. As if you'd do it. No, the people at the time would know that this is a lame excuse. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. You can't bring your wife? What's that got to do with it? What's that got to do with it? It is seen in this culture as rude to the point of blatantly offensive. They have shamed this man. And we should recognise that this should shock us. We're maybe too familiar with this story. I grew up with this story. Do you remember singing the song? For those of you who are old enough, I won't sing it for you, but we used to sing some other words to the song. Did you used to do that as well? Yes, I've bought me a wife. I have married a cow. 
Yes, uh, I have fields and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Play hold me excused, I cannot come. Uh, we used to think that was hysterically funny, as we used to sing that. Uh, but maybe we are too familiar with this story. Imagine you've invited friends around. Maybe you're coming to lunch at my place today and at the moment where I say, it's time to sit down, you say, I'm out of here. <laughs> I actually have something better to do. Do you think I might be a little bit taken aback by that? Yes. Would you do it? Well, most of you are polite, well-bred people, most of you. Uh, and so, no, of course you wouldn't do it. Of course you wouldn't do it. But that's exactly what Jesus has said that Israel has done to God. It's a word of warning. It's a stark warning. These people believed they had an invitation and they would turn up and be ushered in. And Jesus is saying to them, no, your attitudes and your actions are showing that you are making excuses. You are making lame excuses, pathetic excuses. What about us? What are our excuses? What could be our excuses? Is there anything wrong with buying a field? No. Anything you're wrong with acquiring five yoke of oxen or getting married? No. Jesus doesn't have the guests say, I've just woken up from a bender and I'm completely hungover. I'm not coming. He's not got them putting bad things in front of the invitation. He's got them putting good things. And I think that is our danger as well. That we prioritize good things over the best things. That we use God to get what we want. And that's what the religious people of Jesus' day were doing. They were using God and their position in God's people to get status to get power, to get wealth. They were using God for their own ends and they thought he was the cosmic insurance of policy. That at the end, he would usher them into the kingdom and say, here, sit at the table. And Jesus is saying, be warned. Be warned. What are our excuses we know that we should say yes to this. They knew that they should say yes to this. They thought they had. Like I said before, follow yourself around. Listen to yourself. Follow what you do with those key power resources that you have, your time and your money. Look at the choices you make. Sometimes we choose the good things and we put them over God. Sometimes we embrace the bad things. Sometimes, and some of us will know this, that we are actually making choices to put things that are actually bad. Things that God would actually say no to. We choose to put those in front of him. These are invitations to rival parties. And we live in an age that we want to keep our options open. And so maybe you come along to church and you get involved, but you want to not shut down those other options. 
You want to say yes to this, but yes to this and yes to this and yes to this. But there's an old adage that's out there that your yes is only as good as your no. If you're invited to be somewhere at 7.30 on Saturday night, you can only be in one place at 7.30 on Saturday night. You can't go from one party to another party to another party. Younger generation, please hear that. Um, Doesn't work. Can't do it with God. Can't do it with God. Our yes is only as good as our no. And we need to recognise that the things that we chase, the good things that we think will deliver alongside God, they can't. But if we chase him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He gives us what we need, what is the best. And the best thing about it is he puts everything else in its correct place. And it can then bless us instead of enslaving us. Brings us to our last point. Wondering at grace and our plot twist number two. So the man, he's been mortally offended. But he doesn't, he doesn't lash out. Yes, he gets a bit angry. The servant comes back and he reports to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out into the, quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The invitation goes wider. It goes to the outcasts of the city. It goes to the people that the religious people thought should be excluded, but Jesus is saying they are included. It goes to the ones that Jesus talks about in Matthew 21 when he says the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. The people that you think God should judge are entering God's kingdom ahead of you. Jesus is turning things on its head. And then he sends them out to the country lanes and the roads not just the outcasts of Israel, but the nations. And he says, those people are coming in. And if you, pretty much I think all of us, fall into this category, it should amaze us. We have no right to be at this table. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. But the wonder of God's grace is that he overflows to bless the nations. We should be amazed by this. We should marvel and wonder how good is our God that I'm invited, that you're invited. But we're so used to the invitation. Are we in danger, like the man at the feast, of just assuming, oh yeah, I'm there, of course I'm there. No. Wonder at God's grace. Ask yourself, why you? God in his grace chose you. And the servant, 
The servant in this case is the Lord Jesus and he is told to compel them to come. Not force them in, but to beg them, to beseech them. Why? Because we should be so amazed at God's grace that it should just be going, no, 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 no. This is too good to be true. It's like the person who comes up, they've done studies with this. You, people walk up in Rundle Mall and say, uh, can I give you $10? And, and people don't want to take it. Um, they're just thinking, no, there's got to be some catch. Are we offering as we reach out? Because Jesus' mission continues through his church, continues through this church. Compel them. Are we offering something that is so amazing that they go, no, 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 that's too good. That couldn't be for me. No, it is for you. It is for you. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of a couple of centuries ago, he wrote in an older language. And then I, as I read this, I thought, why wouldn't I say it like this? Let me read to you. He says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Powerful words, isn't it? Does that reflect us? So think about, as our leadership group has thought about, talked about, prayed about, this parable, this year that is coming. Will we be part, literally, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay? Because the banquet can only be entered by God's invitation. But Jesus is making plain the fact that you don't sit there, that they don't sit there, is because of their rejection. Surely we can offer this. How good is it? How good is our God? And we should be begging people to come and join us. But there's another twist to this parable. Plot twist number three. Verse 24, I tell you, now, this is not the master in the parable speaking. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Why? And if you've got an NIV like I've got here, the, uh, the inverted quotes continues. No, this is actually something different because how many servants are there in the parable? There's one. And in the original language, uh, there is... The, the word for you is not singular, it's plural. So Jesus is talking to multiple Pharisees. It's not the master talking to one servant. If that makes sense, a little bit technical. But anyway, trust me then, that this is Jesus' words to the Pharisees. It's Jesus' words of warning to us. Could it be that we might be in danger of missing out He's saying not one of those who invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's a stark warning to the Pharisees. But it's a caution to us as well. 
are we in danger of prioritizing so many good things over the best thing? To prioritize other goals over kingdom goals, to use relationships not for God's glory, but for our ends. To say to God, I'll get about your business once I've sorted out mine. I had a man at church a couple of years ago, before I came across here to Adelaide, and he said to me, you're not going to see me very much, uh, just occasionally for a while, because I've got to get my business up and going. Uh, but when, when it gets up and going, I'll be here, and if ever you need money, Cameron, just for ministry, just ask. Can I just say, I never saw him. I never saw him. Because I don't think the business was ever going to get into that place. And even if it did, there'd be something else and something else. Will we honour God now? Will we choose to put that invitation so high? Will we wonder at his grace so much that we cannot help ourselves? Meet with God's people? Yes. Serve in God's church? Yes. Speak in God's name the gospel of invitation to our city? Yes. How could we do this? This is what Vision 2020 is all about. And as I've pondered it, and I speak to myself first and foremost, I've actually written here, if God is going to convert them, he must convert us first. If God is going to convince them that he is a great God, a wonderful God, and that his invitation is astounding, we must believe it first. And so when we've been talking about mission, you may note that I've been spending a lot of time talking about what our hearts are doing. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to turn back and say, God, I've put other things first. I've pursued my own, my own priorities, my own desires. God, I've served myself and I've used you in the pursuit of my goals. If that's us, we need to turn. We need to come back. We need to hear Jesus' warning. Because Jesus spoke to people that thought they were in. We may be confident in our salvation, but as John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, the truth of the faith James tells us, is seen in the life. I'm going to pray for us now and then leave just a little bit of time before Conrad comes up to lead us in prayer. But a time for us to reflect on this. I understand it's been a fairly hard word, but it's one I think that Jesus, in his grace, speaks to us. And as we hear it, he draws us in, he opens our eyes, he softens our hearts so that we might see just how incredible we might wonder at his grace towards us. So I'm going to pray and just leave you with a bit of time. Then Conrad's going to come and keep leading us in prayer. Father. You are an amazing God.
your mercy extends to all the nations, even to us. Father, you saw our need and in Christ you have acted to break sin and death, to conquer shame and evil, to wipe away every tear and to give us a comfort that can never be taken. Father, show us where we make excuses. We may not think that they are excuses, but Father, against your word, give us insight. Use your word against our hearts to convict us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to encourage us. Father, once again, convert our hearts. And then for your glory, we ask that you would use us as your church in this place to see others come into this banquet. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.